Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The reading is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, beginning at verse 12. That's page 1056 in the Church Bibles. Luke 21, verse 12. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From time to time, I have that experience that somebody comes to read the Bible reading that I'm about to preach on, and they read it so well and with such clarity and understanding that I don't really feel there's anything left for me to say. Uh, so, Adrian, thank you very much uh, indeed. Uh, Barbara, we can have the first uh, slide, please. Um, I don't know if you like going on TripAdvisor. 
Um, it, if you don't know about it, it's a website that sort of allows you to go and look at what places are like before you go and visit them. I just want to share with you one or two comments. These are all absolutely genuine uh, things, uh, comments that were left on TripAdvisor. Uh, here's the first one. Uh, the person complained that uh, the beach was too sandy. <laughs> Another one said, uh, we bought Ray-Ban sunglasses uh, for five euros from a street trader, only to find out that they were fake. Uh, somebody else said, it took, us, it took us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England. It only took the Americans we met three hours to get to their home. Another person said, there are too many Spanish people. The receptionist speaks Spanish. The food is Spanish. Too many foreigners. Next one said, I was bitten by a mosquito. No one said they could bite. <laughs> I think it should be explained in the brochure that the local store does not sell proper biscuits, like custard creams or ginger nuts. <laughs> um, last of all, it's, it's lazy of the local shopkeepers to close in the afternoons. I often needed to buy things during siesta time. This should be banned. Well, you know, we're all chortling. Um, and yet, and yet, maybe this is a slightly familiar experience to those of us who are readers of the New Testament. Many of us find ourselves disappointed with the experience of being a disciple of Jesus. And we assume that we're disappointed because either God has let us down or more charitably, the church has let us down. And sometimes that will be true. That's certainly of the church. But sometimes it's because our expectations were way off in the first place. Now, we might wish and long uh, for the Beatitudes not to end as they do. It, it, as you read them, it feels like they're building up to this great climax. And, and we hope that the climax will probably include the words joy peace, or blessing, or revival. But the Beatitudes end with persecution, and that is disappointing uh, to some of us. Uh, we might have hoped that all the mourning and all the peacekeeping and all the, th all the thirsting for good things would end in a happier place. But we have to remember that the last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, is part of Jesus' description of a normal Christian life. It is what we can expect, just as much as we expect to be filled or to be shown mercy. Barbara, next slide, please. So we need to ask, first of all, who are blessed? Well, Jesus says the people who are blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It goes on in the next verse to say it's, it's that people will insult us, persecute us, and falsely say all kinds of evil against us because of me, says Jesus. So let's be absolutely clear, there will be times when our following of Jesus frustrates or challenges or provokes or undermines other people be it one-to-one, -one, 
albeit with Christians as a group of people. But this also recognizes that none of us are perfect and that even when we are following Jesus wholeheartedly, we can still be annoying and still be self-absorbed. So Jesus is not saying here to Christians, and I, I fear that some Christians have read it this way, that you can be downright objectionable and the proof that you're still following me is that people won't like you. Uh, this is not a mandate for us to be awful or for us to be judgmental or for us to be objectionable or proud or hard-hearted. But it is a promise that if we follow Jesus however imperfectly, there will be times when that brings persecution. There was a recent report put out by Philip Manstephen, who's now the Bishop of Truro, and in it he observes that Christians are now, it's been different in the past, are now the most persecuted religious group in the world. Can we go to the next slide, please, Barbara? Number 345. I want you to just try and imagine how that relates to Christian persecution. This is how it relates. 345 is the number of Christians who are killed every month. 345 Christians killed every month. Uh, not in random things, but killed because they are Christians. That is the, that is the current statistic. So this is very real. Please, Barbara. Uh, we need then to think about how, uh, how, how at all can there be blessing in persecution? I think we can sort of feel and see and imagine how there is blessing in, in thirsting after righteousness and peacemaking, however hard those are, but this just feels like a complete non sequitur or a car crash of an idea that there can be blessing in persecution. How does this happen? Well, I think it's best to start off with how it's not. Uh, Jesus does not expect or promise that we will be blessed by being instantly delivered from our tormentors or by their falling down on their knees to apologize to us. That is the exception in the New Testament, and it is not the norm. How then uh, should we expect to be blessed? Uh, firstly, with a capacity for joy, even in our suffering. Uh, Bart calls Christian joy, I love this description, he says that Christian joy is a defiant nevertheless. Don't you love that? Christian joy is a defiant nevertheless. It's entirely and utterly open-minded and open-eyed. It sees things as they are. It doesn't pretend, but with the defiance of Christian hope, it says, even though all these things are raged against us, I know that I am loved of God, and I know that I live in a world and in a universe where God's love will be victorious. So it's partly that we are blessed with this capacity for joy. Read in Acts chapter 5, the apostles left the Sanhedrin. How did they leave the Sanhedrin? Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Name of Jesus. Rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Wow. When was the last time you felt that? when someone really put you down 
or really said something sarcastic and biting, and your first thought or feeling was, I rejoice to be counted worthy of bearing disgrace for the name. The second way in which we are blessed is that we are promised that there is a a greater reward at whatever we lose on earth, even if that is our life and our livelihood. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We have a different perspective as Christian people. We do not think death is a disaster or is a portal into nothingness. So we believe that even if people take away everything that we have, including our life, that doesn't take us one inch further away from the love of God. Next slide, please, Barbara. Why then is there this blessing? Why is the kingdom of God so present and so real to those who are persecuted? God blesses those who live in his way. In a sense, that is the message of the Beatitude. God blesses us when we cherish what he cherishes. And we know that living beautifully and faithfully is never, ever, ever going to make us uniformly popular. It is inevitable, says Jesus, that all those who live faithful and Christ-honoring lives will at times provoke dismay or ridicule or anger. Now, we are grateful that on the whole, our city often honors and respects the life of its churches. And we are privileged to be immersed in service in the life of this community. But we know, too, that to remain a faithful and obedient servant of Jesus, with all that means for what we believe, which, of course, in certain ways is deeply offensive to our culture. And in what, and the way we behave, which is to put at the needs of the poor and the needs of others and to put justice at the heart of all that we are about, that will, on occasions, be at odds with our culture. We know that because we often struggle ourselves. We know that, that those things are at odd with me. I don't want to serve the poor, necessarily. I struggle uh, to stand up uh, when others are not, and our culture even more so. But Jesus says, walk in my way, and you will be blessed. The second thing we need to remember is that we are in good company. Jesus said, in the same way they persecuted the prophets. If you remember your Old Testament history, you remember in 1 Kings 22, you have Micaiah the prophet, and he is standing alone one of him against 400 false prophets who've turned their hearts away from God. That is what it means sometimes for us as God's people. Jesus says the same in Matthew 10. He says, a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the household has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of the household? Jesus faced opposition, persecution, ridicule, dismay. So will I, and so will you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, discipleship 
means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. Of course, if you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story, you will know that that carried him all the way to his death in a concentration camp. So why are we blessed? Because we're walking in God's way, because we're in good company, others have done so beforehand, but also because it makes things easier for those who follow us. Some of the freedoms that we have in this country, both more widely politically, but also in the church, are because others have stood up for Christ in the past. And if we stand up for what we believe now, then, uh, and count it a blessing, even when we face hardship and persecution, it will be easier for other people in the future. There's a plaque on the Hoover Dam, if you go there on the River Colorado, that says, these people died that the desert might rejoice and blossom as the rose. And so often in history, we know that when Christians have paid an ultimate sacrifice in persecution, what has ironically, from the world's view, followed is revival and new growth. And so you and I, standing together now, brings blessing in the future. So sometimes persecution of whatever kind is, in a sense, our moment of drama in eternity. And you know when it comes. It's that opportunity to show my love for Jesus or my gratitude to him or my desire to see him honored. And knowing that doing that, even if I do it with all the grace and the love that I can muster, is going to pour, is going to bring scorn or rejection or irony or sarcasm from others. This is the, often the moment when our faith is likely to cost us something. And some commentators suggest that this is the last of the Beatitudes so that it can act as a test, a test to see whether we are really living out any of them at all. Because what Jesus says is, if we live out these values of the kingdom, at times and in places, they will provoke anger and dismay. So we fight with all that we are against being poor in spirit in a society that just wants us to think masses about ourselves. We don't want to mourn our sin or the rotten human heart that each of us has. We don't want to be meek because we don't want to be overlooked by other people. We don't want to hunger and thirst after righteousness because our appetite for other things is so much sharper and stronger. We don't want to be merciful because it costs us to let go of vengeance and bitterness. We don't want to be pure in heart because it costs so much and we, we like the acceptance of others. We don't want to be peacemakers because we know what happens to peacemakers. They get caught in the crossfire. And so this last a promise or announcement of Jesus, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, it, it definitely rounds off the Beatitudes, but it also comes as a kind of a check or a test uh, to see whether we're living out any of them wholeheartedly. My overwhelming impression uh, today is twofold. Uh, firstly, uh, a sense of repentance 
and humility as we recognize that if we were meeting in different parts of the world today, these words would ring very differently. No one here would be surprised when somebody read in the church, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because we'd all know it. We'd have all experienced it. My sense of humility comes in the face of the faith of sisters and brothers across the world who have understood and lived all of this in a way that I have never had to. My second overwhelming feeling today is that sense uh, of uh, repentance and contrition. That at those, li- I mean, I'm, I'm a vicar. I've been a vicar for 25 years. In theory, I can get away with saying anything about religion and Jesus and God and, and doing things that look overtly Christian. And as you may be discovering, I, I'm not lacking in looking like a bit of a wally. But even then, even me, to my shame, I have times and moments where I just let it slide. And I keep my head down. And I duck the issue. And if I'm honest, I might tell myself it's about building relationships and keeping the peace. Maybe sometimes it is. But it's often because I don't want to own the name of Jesus. I don't want to make things awkward. I don't want to throw what I believe in people's faces. And I feel a deep sense of contrition as I say that and acknowledge that. Because I'm not recognizing what Jesus promised. And I'm trying to duck it. I'm trying to evade it. Of course, let's be gracious and loving and respectful. Jesus isn't arguing against any of those things. He is simply saying the time will come. And the time is there for many of our Christian sisters and our brothers. And so it's right that in our prayers today, we join our hearts with them, as well as encouraging one another to stand together for Christ. Amen.